Hello and welcome to the Human Odyssey podcast. This is episode 12. I'm Skander, joined always by the bestest of boys, Jamie. And today we're heading to the magnificent country of Brazil, a place I've promised myself I'd visit once this gosh darn epidemic is over. We're accompanied by the beautiful song Se Afasta from the Brazilian duo Bemquere. I really recommend you go and check them out on YouTube and a lot. Today, we're talking to the amazing Daniela Lerario. Daniela is a Brazilian biologist, waste and circular economy expert. She's also chair of the board of Sistema B Brazil and co-lead of the climate champions team for COP26. Daniela, how are you doing? I'm fine, Skander. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Um, so you're joining us from Brazil, is that right? Yeah, I'm right now sitting in my room in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Is the is the crisis as bad in Brazil, you think, as in Europe where Jamie and I are? Wow, I think it's, it's different. Um, it's very challenging in Brazil. You kind of, uh, you don't access the right information. So it's all really messy. And I think culturally in Latin America, everything is really messy and disruptive. <laughs> and <laughs> the information doesn't get you in the right, you know, never, never anything is it's crystal clear so yeah it's it's very tough right now we have over 130 uh dead people 100 130,000 people that died from covid-19 and it's 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 really serious here i'm a mother of two young healthy and insanely adorable children <laughs> <laughs> and and being with them uh, for the past 6 months or so has been an amazing privilege to to my family we're wow. all healthy we all have you know a roof space and and food and love yeah. but obviously you know um i'm you know there's no other option for from my recognized privileged perspective than to be optimistic but i i'm obviously you know trying to connect and help people they're absolutely living a different um reality especially in my country so i think this this affects me in this way and how can i help you know how can i not um keep myself from being in a bubble and just you know accessing other people that are not that didn't have my opportunities yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we have yeah. full solidarity with uh, everyone in Brazil that is hurting from this crisis and from uh, other crises happening at the same time. Um, so, Daniela, you started your career and kind of your, your professional life as a biologist. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I've always been very passionate about environmental and, and social issues. Um, I've tried almost every single opportunity any biologist can can have. So from oceanography to forest conservation, ecology, genetics, and, and then I got to waste management, which is where I specialized and, you know, my expertise. I think, you know, the sustainability umbrella was always my thing. You know, I try to, to go very deep because I'm always, my logic is always very, you know, uh, the highest vision. I always have this, I'm, I'm eager to look, you know, the holistic view. So in the MBA, I try to go deeper and deeper. I, I'm not sure it was a good thing. Uh, obviously, it, it, you know, meant something. But uh, for me, I really, really like, you know, the, the highest view I can get. And then going to, to the ground, experiencing things. I think it's the richness of 
being in contact with people and going to the ground and understanding mm. and asking questions, uh, you, you, cannot, you cannot describe uh, the results you get when you do that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that you had an interest in waste management for as long as you can remember or, or, or was, it, was it kind of more of a gradual raise in interest or could you kind of pinpoint it to a kind of one or, one or a few experiences that kind of revealed its importance to you? Yes, it's a, an interesting question. I've tried to go backwards and, and, you know, just realize when was it that, uh, you know, we say the waste bug <laughs> bit me. <laughs> but I think since I'm in love with nature and it's, you know, fluidity, I, uh, trash on the floor always was always very hard for me to, to accept, you know? I was mm -hmm. the one picking up, you know, little pieces of trash all, all, all the time. Yeah. So I think this is where, I, I mean, looking at what we do with nature was maybe the driver for me, you know, what, what is going on? How can we talk about it? And, and then, you know, in, in, in living in this huge city, I mean, Sao Paulo is a huge, huge uh, industrialized urban area and a particular particularly this city, the city I was brought up in and, and live, uh, it's not planned. It's not a city that you want to live in, right? Mm. So I think right. this is where it came. It came from, from this chaos, <laughs> this urban mm. chaos that I see every day here with, you know, the dirty river, with the trees are, are, are sad and the, the, the animals that still live in the city are, you know, everything is very um, affected by pollution and by you know waste so i think this is where it came from yeah well speaking of dirty rivers uh Scandi, <laughs> you, you came across a particular um thing uh recently didn't you yeah yeah good good linking um <laughs> so this this specific interview wouldn't have happened if i hadn't seen a an article on uh, a study called the uh, plastic wave this exactly yeah from uh, Break, the pew trust breaking the plastic wave, breaking, yeah. breaking the plastic wave even yes mm -hmm. um and from the pew trust uh university of oxford leads um systemic queue as well and it was called a comprehensive assessment of pathways towards stopping ocean plastic pollution um so that was published in july 2020 for everyone listening and it was kind of being called uh, one of the biggest studies of plastic pollution in oceans um, in in decades, like a really one of the most comprehensive studies, uh, and in the um, in the sort of names uh, the, of the of the participants of the study and of, of the research was Daniela. So um, I guess we can just get straight into and ask um, ask you what was your role in this, and if you can maybe give us a little overview of what this means to you or what what the the research is about? Sure. Um, so for me, it was a pleasure to participate. I really, really like the interaction um, with other countries. I think this, you know, gives you a, an even bigger perspective on, on the challenges that we have to face and the exchanges are just amazing. But obviously it's uh, very hard to make everyone uh, get to the same point, right? So it was two years of joint work, a lot of hard work with, with you know, with a, with a uh, main 
involved. So Pew, the team of Pew and, and Systemic and uh, the universities involved were, were, was like very, very hard work. The idea um, uh, was to have, you know, besides the core team, 17 other uh, experts to test the idea and the modeling uh, of the project. And I was one of them. So I was the only Latin American um, mm -hmm. in the group. Uh, it was a very diverse group uh, with, you know, different uh, parts of the value chain of plastic and different countries and regions. So it was very interesting to be, you know, exchanging all the information. Um, and our role was mainly, you know, test it and help it and, and make them make sure that, you know, the, our perspectives were at least mentioned or taken care mm -hmm. of within the challenge of, of this uh, great, greater study. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, because I have to say a lot of the time, uh, even in, you know, scientific research, we don't often see, I think, some of the quieter voices, which, which in a way have been quietened by or made quiet by the, how loud some voices from like the U S or Europe are in general. So it's good to see some mind being given to and, and some like space and stuff given to to countries that are sometimes pushed to the back. Yeah, and, and still it's hard to keep up, you know, because we think different, we speak other languages, our culture is mm -hmm. different. We you know, it's everything's so hard to keep up with, with the with with the strategic, with uh with uh being uh straight to the point we, we're brought up different so it's it, it took a lot for me to to uh try to get them to understand where, where i was coming from you know to explain and and even more challenging to be the one person from latin america right so it's a mm -hmm. huge responsibility am i the one you know you you start contacting people from chile colombia peru brazil yeah. and then you just say okay just you know what guys i'm gonna be really honest with you we uh, from what i know or you know from the capabilities that i have and the relationships that we have in triciclos and everything uh there's no um primary uh, um, information that we can trust in Latin America in terms of waste management, right. right? We have a lack of good information. And this is, you know, it's very serious. It's absolutely not only happening in Latin America. So we had, you know, Africa, uh, India, you know, uh, a lot of other parts of the world have the same issues. And maybe even in Europe, you have, you know, a lack of a little bit of not transparent uh, information. Yeah, yeah. For sure. At least a lack of depth. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, you know, a lot of interest in the ones that do the studies and gather information. So, you know, it's, it's very, uh, it's a very delicate subject. And, and this was the first conversation we had is like, I'm up to the challenge. I want to, to deep dive with you. I'm, I want to help you. I'm going to help you with, you know, all the energy and hmm. uh, connections that I have, but um, I cannot, give you good in quality information and you know yeah um, and I mean, even in terms of just the 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 weight that you know you must have felt uh i mean latin america is home to to what like almost a billion people i'd say about like <laughs> something like three quarters of a billion people like something like yeah. 20 odd countries that's that's a huge responsibility for 
uh, it's kind of it sounds silly than to give it to you know one single person to be able to represent something like 20 <laughs> yeah, countries yeah, yeah, yeah. um surely there should be you know i i'm gonna guess that brazil is quite different to let's say like mexico or ecuador or you know even though we like in the west to kind of see them as one amalgam of of, of countries um i don't know it, yeah. it seems like yeah uh, and it's you know thing. it's but but at the same time if i don't go nobody will yeah. uh, talk about Latin course, America, right so you you don't yeah. have that choice you just have yeah, to yeah. be there and and from inside out try to understand and try to make the bridge and try to scream as loud as you can or or, <laughs> or to behave as 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 similar as you can just in order to make yourself uh, relatable yes and and mm. and comprehensible and you know humans right so we're there discussing we the the most impressive thing for me and i keep having that surprise and i'm, I'm not really sure why I'm, I'm still surprised is that we have the same challenges so two days ago i was talking to somebody from the green alliance in the uk and and you know they have amazing work being done and then uh the woman said you know she mentioned re recycling and you know the distance from circular economy to what we're doing with recycling and then you know i it, and the same time i said we have absolutely the same perception here in brazil so it's it's really funny how it's you know same same but different <laughs> uh and we're facing the same problems uh around the world and i think yeah. uh in the discussions of breaking the plastic wave it was uh it was that and and a lot of my role uh, together with um Malti and Linda, you know, Africa, India, and a lot of other people, Utah, a lot of people that were, you know, Wait, sorry, sorry to, in... sorry to cut you off. Was it one also, also one person for Africa? Uh, yeah, well, uh, oh. we had 17 people. And <laughs> was, Africa's yeah. what, 55 countries, that's even more. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but afterwards, so it was, uh, I think, you know, rip representativeness was mm -hmm. uh, taken care of uh, also in other parts of the study where we you know uh, asked for those people or for me or for people the person from Africa etc to, to bring more people into the discussion so they asked for specialists and then they submitted the information to those specialists but not uh, in the same amount of time and discussion that we had right we were there five, six times together, one-on-one, uh, uh, -on -one, right? Or, you know, as a yeah. group, uh, physically. So, you know, we were the experts chosen to be uh, there within the discussion and, 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 you know, more close to the discussion. But a lot of other people from around the world, in, including people that we suggested, uh, were consulted uh, in okay. other parts of the study. So. Well, I, I think we can all at least congratulate you and, and thank you as well for, for such a <laughs> comprehensive work. Um, I just want to, for people listening that will, you know, uh, likely not have completely read the whole the whole thing at least. Um, I just want to summarize some of the key points that the the breaking the plastic wave uh, brings sure. up, which is that the flow of plastics uh, projected uh, in the oceans, right, flow of plastic from from our shores to the oceans is projected to triple in uh, by 2040 so within mm -hmm. 20 years tripling of plastics without considerable actions uh, we're looking at 50 kilograms of plastics for every meter of shoreline 
That is insane. Uh, analysis shows that a future with about 80% less annual plastic leakage into the ocean relative to business as usual is achievable by 2040 using existing technologies. Um, but this depends on immediate global implementation of solutions and also that uh, 95% of aggregate plastics packaging value, so that's about 100 billion US dollars a year, is lost to the economy following a short first-use cycle. Uh, and then there are further kind of uh, critical findings, which uh, I, I'm not going to read them out completely, but I think the the, the main one that really, really uh, frightened me, I think, was that first one, the flow of plastics mm-hmm. projected to triple in oceans by 2040. We, I, I think we'd like to think that we're doing better and better with these sort of issues, especially pollution. Um, but then, you know, this kind of puts everything into, into, um, into uh, what's the word? In, puts everything into perspective. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, uh, re- recycling seems to be kind of at the forefront of, you know, uh, public green movements um, and it's just it's it's so shocking to see how far we fall short despite what everyone's saying about like oh we're a green company now we recycle this much uh plastic yeah. every year yeah. we've stopped it with straws <laughs> yeah and recycling is not enough and the way we're recycling is questionable at least you know for i can say for my country you know the amount of energy water co2 etc you know and and then you cannot left aside the informality you know and and the and the importance of the informal or and there's a huge discussion we were i was myself into a very deep discussion on informal or formal what does that mean and you know at the end you're not tackling the environmental area without looking for people you know you're talking about people trying to survive and and doing services for for you know for nature and for us so i think Mm -hmm. there's a key uh, difference here when you when you look at the infrastructure and when you look at, at uh, developing countries and the situation of of the whole you know informality with street waste pickers and uh, waste cooperatives and you know all this work that they've been doing and uh, I mean for me you know this forty percent forty percent of today's global plastic waste ends up in the environment and. The main message of the study is that we're not against plastic. We're against plastic in the environment, right? We yeah. do not want plastic to end up there. And, yeah. and this Although is I guess the creation become... of plastic is in itself a debate, which I think should be had as well, because the, the way that we produce so much for, for single kind of consumption yeah. Yeah. seems and to be an issue as well. A, a, mm. Applicability, right? Uh, what it's supposed to be durable what are you going to do with it right so there are a lot of other questions and and yeah but just you know uh, if if we uh with with all the the current government and industry commitments that we have implemented by 2040 if we have that implemented we have only a seven percent reduction of leakage I think yeah, this yeah. is another huge message, you know, yeah. the efforts that we are, you know, all the commitments and, you know, the, the targets that the huge companies are putting are, are only a scratch on the surface of, of the challenge yeah. that we have. Yeah. And, and that's one of the big things I took away from this, uh, from this report was that solutions do exist. It's not the lack of technical solutions that's preventing us from addressing the ocean plastic crisis. 
it's the lack of implementation and kind of political will, which is something that I think COVID has really highlighted as well, because this is something that a lot of environmentalists have been saying over the years that, that, you know, we should stop waiting for Godot or like, you know, waiting for like a, a solution to come and, and to, to save us from our from our demise instead we should see okay there are obvious solutions but why are we not implementing them so i guess my question to you is why do you think that we're not implementing these solutions if they do exist yeah could, could i add just quickly um add, adding on to skander's question do you think politicians who are at least discussing these matters do you think they are even aware of these problems or uh, mm. um, if they do do you think they they care i mean that it is a topic in the political sphere but it's it's obviously not being treated properly. Yeah, so I'll start with this one. Uh, I'm not sure they are. Well, I mean, by 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 you know, right now they should be aware, right? There there is enough information. There is enough science-based targets. There is enough everything accessible yeah. uh, for them to to make a move. Right. It's uh, it's no excuse. The information is there. So if you're a politician, you should, you know, just go there and, and, and try to talk to people that know it, because there's a lot of people trying to 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 do that. But, you know, uh, in conducting this analysis, our goal was, you know, to provide a new evidence base for decision makers in governments, businesses, civil society and academia so that they, they can could navigate responses to this emerging global challenge and, and access the appropriate trade-offs and implement the best solutions, including the economics, right? So this was the idea of the study. I'm not really sure whether the results were what we wanted in, in this, you know, in this specific um, um, point of view, but uh, with, with the question of why are we not doing, I'm really sorry to say that it's too cheap not to do it. So uh, it's too cheap. You're, you know, the externalities are there and we're discussing value with absolutely, you know, for me, it's nonsense. And uh, when you get to the logic that uh, although we have, you know, uh, a logic for the century looking for stakeholder value and shared value and everything is just, you know, the conversation on ESG is uh, you still you still see um, the majority of of the businesses or the majority of the money going to whatever you know going somewhere else and and it's too cheap and and the interest of the world it's it's we we're still facing sustainability or profit you know we're, we're yeah, yeah. still we're it's like still a facing this, yeah. and it's yes. So it's you're either sustainable or you're profitable, and and I mean, come on, we already have a lot of, <clears throat> yeah, we already have a lot of businesses that are able to do it. Uh, it uh, implies, you know, putting sustainability in the core of your business. It implies, you know, purpose. It implies uh, transparency. Oof, it implies what else, you know? So there's there's a lot to it. So on, on this, I, I have like two sort of things that I've uh, I've read recently that I kind of want to bring into this conversation. One of them is, um, I don't know if you guys have kind of landed into this because it's very French news, but um, Emmanuel Macron, uh, I think it was two days ago, something like that to this day, 
said that uh, the shut down sort of critics of his saying that um, the solution to the ecological crisis was in in sort of tech and, and new solutions and, and things like that, not in an Amish solution. Not like Amish solutions won't solve our problems, basically, uh, he said, which first of all is, a, is quite uh, wow. <laughs> frustrating to hear when the Amish have such a low carbon footprint but also a little bit <laughs> but also i think a little uh, uncalled for and and the second thing um and so i, I kind of want to get maybe your opinion on, on this idea of, of tech uh solutions especially in terms of of solving these problems and the second thing that i kind of want your opinion on is um i've been reading this book called economie 2 um by manuel drion uh again, mm-hmm. a french book where he says he has this big idea that um, we can't afford not to become kind of green and environmental, and that that in fact he himself, as a as a owner of a company, doesn't really understand how people can can afford not switching to durable and sustainable, uh, environmentally friendly solutions. So, and and in his research, he really shows it. He he owns. Um, a company that produces letters, uh, right. And like, um, for like literally for writing letters the old way. And, um, and you would, you wouldn't think that's the most environmentally friendly, uh, company on earth, you know, because it's mm-hmm. just paper, but at the end of the day, they have amazing systems where their ink is made with by bio, completely biodegradable, uh, materials, which any kind of waste water and things like that that they have, they put into plants that and food uh, fruit sorry fruit plants and things like that that they've um, they've sowed around the company and you know they have all these processes basically that save them money really by being green so I just want to get your your opinion on these things yeah I think we face a lot of ignorance also uh, that you can be sustainable and that you can make money as we were talking before. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that, you know, if you, if you within your company are asking the right questions, the ones that are very, very hard to answer uh, again and again and again, you're going to go uh, on the right path. So I've been hearing more and more of the big companies saying that, you know, they're frightened of disappearing, right? They're really afraid of not making sense anymore, that they exist either because they're too big, because nobody's going to work for them, because nobody's going to finance them, because, you know, it's, it's too much to, to handle when you're polluting. You know, it's, it's getting complicated. It's not too easy to, to be business as usual. And I think it's going to be faster and faster and faster. So the, the great movements of, and I'm not, not, not only talking about new companies, okay? Let's not be naive to think that, you know, you have to be born again and, 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 and create a business model. You have to be able to change. You have to be resilient and open and humble and, and try to make your business solve a problem of either the environment or social or, you know, you have to, to use your business as, as service, right, to, to, the, to the world. And this kind of brings us into the B Corp world, which you've been part of for a while now. Yeah, so what, what we have here, so... Certified, certified B corporations are, are this new kind of business that balances purpose and profit. Uh, they're legally required to consider impact on their, of their decisions on their workers, customers, suppliers, community, and environment. So it's a, a community of leaders. It's 
3,000, over 3,500 uh, certified B corporations in 74 countries in, you know, 150 industries in the world. Uh, in the end, you know, just people using business as a force for good. But uh, through the impact assessment, which is in the end uh, a management tool for, for triple impact, uh, the B corporations meet the highest standards of, of verified social and environmental performance. You know, you have public transparency, legal accountability to balance profit and purpose. So in the end, we're just, you know, trying to accelerate a, a global culture shift to redefine su success in business, right? What we, what, we, what we saw, you know, one day as success may not be the success that we're measuring today. So and then again, we discuss value, values and, you know, uh, well-being, uh, shared uh, value and everything. So I think B Corps, as well as a lot of other movements, they're trying to uh, go for a systemic change uh, in the economic system that we live today. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's here to stay. I think companies must understand that either because um, people will not work for you or, you know, why, why to be a B Corp? So you, you have a better management of your portfolio. You have uh, a, a governance that's strengthened. You have a dialogue with ESG and metrics that will, people will, will understand better. You have talent attraction. You have uh, positioning in the value chain of your business. You know, the more you know, the less mm -hmm. risk you have. Right. Yeah. And then the, the more opportunities you have and then you have a, a sustainable performance. So there are a lot of reasons uh, to which you should, you know, at least measure yourself and understand what you're doing. Right. With your business. Yeah. And, and where should I go? Could you give us maybe like a, a, a practical example of uh, maybe a specific uh, company that, that you've kind of seen implement this or? Okay, so I'll give you the love brand. So Patagonia uh, yeah, is a company yeah, yeah. that when you when you think of Patagonia, if you if you know the brand, you say okay, they have you know equipment and clothing. But the thing is, Patagonia is a regeneration, uh, a regenerative uh, company. So when you when you put your mission to be regenerative company, you can work throughout uh, other uh, uh, products and services. Mm -hmm. uh, and still be a regenerative company. So you can, uh, through, by doing what you do, you can help the planet. So uh, you're going to plant the seed, you're going to go for the sheep, you're going to talk about Patagonia provisions, you're going to think about retailer, uh, you're going to think about um, reusing and, and, and remanufacturing the, the products. So you have many brands that are love brands that are going this way. We have Natura and company in Brazil, you know, the huge cosmetic company working in the Amazon forest and, you know, uh, putting a lot of, in, uh, of effort on, on uh, keeping the forest up or, you know, uh, you know, bioeconomy and, and et cetera. And you have, I mean, you have a lot of companies. You have uh, Grain, Greystone uh, Bakery, uh, in New York City that, you know, they say, we don't, uh, we don't hire people to make cookies. We make cookies to hire people. And, you know, mm -hmm. the people that they hire today mm -hmm. is people that were, you know, 
uh, in the vulnerability, uh, vulnerable situation or ex-presidiaries yeah. or people that would not find a job. So you have all of that. You, and you also have, you know, very um, usual companies that you would say, why are you a big corporation? And in the end, it's about metrics. So it's a lot more than just, you know, um, the, the usual suspects, the, the, the companies that you say, okay, they work triciclos, for instance, right? Circular economy to the whole value chain of plastic. I mean, it's very B, but you can have, you know, a, an, an advocacy office, uh, an, a lawyer office that mm -hmm. is a B corporation also because it's how they do it, how yeah. they do yeah. what they do. It's about how you do it, Right. And in the end, you do not want that all the companies in the world are B Corps. They're not going to be. Uh, we do have, you know, a part, uh, a very interesting, other than the certification, we work with, um, with uh, measuring, so uh, impact, uh, impact uh, management and governance, right? So we work also with the uh, law infrastructure for the country for the, the companies to operate within the country right so talking about regulating and the market of capital and you know the structures to make that happen to make that economic system actually uh, happen okay and and are you ever scared of of greenwashing at all like... ah, of course we're always scared of greenwashing pilot washing esg washing or any kind of washing that uh and that there is, I think more and more, we're talking about transparency. And this is a huge challenge for us in Brazil. Nobody's used to be transparent. Uh, and the power of consumer, of the citizen is getting bigger and bigger also. So the social networks and, you know, but together comes fake, fake news and, and all the other things. But in, in this very challenging world, I think, um, you you have to lead by example mm -hmm. one day after the other it's walking the talk one day after the, the other they're gonna know what you're doing you know everyone's mm. watching everyone's watching so you better sit on the table talk to the people go to the ground you know be humble be transparent uh you know listen to others empathize uh, or you know look at at your business model and, and try to transition to a service business model other than product driven system model. So there are many things you can start doing, right? There, there are many opportunities. One thing that, that, that I find very important is that you understand your region, right? Yeah, so yeah. you must, no solution is a silver bullet. You have to look around and probably mm. there are very, very good people around you that can help you out and that, understand what you're talking about so don't go just you know uh, replying uh, something that you did in uk to brazil because it's yeah. not going to work it's not mm -hmm. going to work uh, you said that um not all companies are going to be b corps which uh is interesting to me because it seems like a desirable thing that all companies would be b corps do you were you saying that 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 it is an undesirable thing or an unpractical thing to to um... pursue I think it's both because you, you, you can become a B Corp if you understand that, you know, the stamp or the brand or making part of the movement makes sense to you. What we do want as the B Corp movement and, you know, uh, I can recognize this in other movements that are very similar, very close to us, is that we want people to measure. We need to measure. We need to compare, as we say in Brazil, bananas with bananas. We need to understand mm -hmm. 
what is the efforts that every the effort that everyone can do in order to go the same direction and then we get to the sdgs for instance right so want whether we want it or not we have 10 years to for for 17 goals and it's enough if we stayed one year for each yeah. goal so yeah. uh, it's time for us to to concentrate and to mm. and to work in common ground we have to understand mm. where we're equal we have to uh, go after the you know and and for me this gets to leadership it gets to govern good governance it gets to communicating well gets to transparency and most of all in the human component in the companies we're humans yeah. we have to see each other we're we're living beings right so, so at the end of the day if everyone was a b corp then you would need to create a c corp of sort right so... <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah am i right in saying hand, that i mean uh, if everyone was the the level of b corps i guess and we wanted to go further you'd have to create some sort of c corp yeah. Well, yeah one of the, the things that i like the most is when you start seeing uh business models that are, are meant to finish within mm -hmm. five years so i have a target i'm gonna get to it and i'm over I i'm done i would love to see us right. do, doing this right it's like short-term companies you mean or yeah or, yeah. yeah it's amazing oh. isn't it amazing that you just you know <laughs> you're not you're not struggling to make the company survive after so many years you just you know very mm. I'm, I'm existing for this purpose right now and then i'm i'm off and so, i think so what kind know, of purpose for example because i'm i'm having trouble for, kind of what, let's say for, what this would be so a company would come, would uh, come to life to clean the river, uh, this river oh, I see, right. in my country. So I'm going to do, it's a task force, yeah. right? Or I'm going to uh, help, you know, sewage system problems in the city of Macapá in the north of Brazil. Yeah. After I've, I've right. achieved my, you know, my, my check, check, check. I'm done. And, and, right. and we're, we're so, learning. So the profits are a way to, to do that. Yeah. So, and, okay. and we're learning and, and we have to be creative. Come on. We went to the moon, didn't we? Maybe we didn't. Jury still have on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we came up with so many interesting things. And then uh, coming back to your question, Skander, on, on technology. Technology will help us, but it's not going to be all about technology. We mm -hmm. have to see each other. We have to have good leadership. You know, it's, it, this is not, you know, all on technology. It will help us a lot, I believe. I'm not the, the most digital person in the world, but I do believe a lot of things, especially in the environmental area, are going to be, you know, are going to help us with traceability, are going to help us, us with transparency again, and, and with measurement, right? We have to measure, we have to report, and we have to have continuous improvement of what we're doing. Otherwise, you know, how can we... Um, how can we go forward with this? Yeah, that sounds like a really like kind of um, inspiring attitude, I think, to to have as well, and and to kind of bring to people. So I can I can really understand as well why uh, you were chosen to be one of the climate champions for uh, the <laughs> cup for the cup for the UN cup. Yeah, sorry, great transition yeah. here, but um, yeah. Good. So was, can, can you tell us a little bit about that, about what is um, the Climate Champions team and, and sort of yeah. what your role so, is in that? So really, really quick. So at, at COP21, uh, the UN um, 
the, the United Nations Climate Change uh, Conference in Paris, governments agreed that mobilizing stronger and more ambitious climate action uh, is urgently required to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement, right? So to connect the work of governments with the many voluntary and collaborative actions that are taken by cities, regions, businesses, investors, etc., cetera, uh, nations decided to appoint two high-level champions, right? Uh, the champions work focused on two crucial areas, uh, engage with interest parties and non-party stakeholders, and to provide guidance to the secretariat. Input from the champions' efforts to mobilize action helps the secretariat uh, organize technical expert meetings and, you know, all that there is to it. So um, <clears throat> the high-level champion for Chile last year was Gonzalo Munoz, which is also the co-founder of Sistema B outside of North America. Uh, so Gonzalo is my partner in Interciclos, uh, and, and he was the champion for COP25. And since COP26 was to happen in, in November, but we had the pandemic, we have Nigel Topping from the, the high-level climate champion for United Kingdom, Together, these two amazing human beings, absolutely full of energy and, and optimistic to say, how about we create a team? How about we get, you know, whoever is, you know, talking about this throughout the world. And we have 44, 45 people, some of us seconded, some of us, you know, full time working in this project of helping them tackle the challenges that they have within the Marrakesh partnership. So we have a lot of pathways. Um, our our uh, main role is, you know, we have some objectives. So it's to deliver a, a tenfold increase in net zero commitments from non-state actors, to drive breakthrough industrial systems transformation for 10 sectors, to support diplomatic efforts through non-state actor channels, enhance engagement and agency across non-stakeholders group, groups and win the narrative battle on climate action and, and progress. So mm -hmm. this is what we're doing now. Uh, mostly uh, my work is based on uh, to lead the, the strategy on Brazil. So um, it, it's, it's very, I'm based on nature-based solutions, looking for ocean circular economy, uh, regenerative agriculture, value chains, deforestation, but but mainly big corporations and the example that these companies are are bringing, you know, uh, leading the change. And you know, how can we start the conversations in Brazil? And and do you feel like um, I, I don't want to completely name the beast here, but do you feel like the government in Brazil uh, has been helpful for you? I mean. I don't know how local and, and even sort of provincial governments are in Brazil, but um, but I, I know that it seems to me, at least from the outside, that the national government in Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro, is not really interested in these sort of things. I think it's it's more than that. I think we have, you know, uh, deniers or negationists. Yeah. I don't know if you have that word, but <laughs> we have deniers in the government. This is a fact. This is not going to change. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to do something despite uh, in, what's going on uh, politically in the country. It's 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 challenging. We're we're we're, we're swimming against the tide. But uh, on the other hand, we are a federation and we have, you know, the subnationals and, and some governments and cities saying, I'm going I'm going for it. And, and what we're talking about is how can we be creative enough and, and give 
the economic speech enough to, to show the, the brilliant, amazing, uh, disruptive, interesting, economically viable part of Brazil. WRI just launched uh, the new climate economy study in Brazil showing that this is possible. It's the same with breaking the plastic wave. We have to do it now and it's possible and it's not going to cost you more. So, you know, um, speed up, let, let, you know, let's talk to the right people. Let's connect. It, I'm not going to go anywhere if I just sit with the same people. I have to sit with the ones that I don't know, don't want to hear or that I don't like. So it's, it's about human relationships again. You know, it's about understanding and seeing the other and saying, oh, I have to go there. We're going to have to, to find a way on, on doing it. Right. So this is what I see in Brazil, the energy of the people. It's better than it was last year. As, as much as the pandemic is, you know, it's frightening and everything's going on. And we have 130,000 people that died uh, in this country of, of this virus. You know, it's, it's, I think we, we haven't even started uh, our crisis. And the thing is that we cannot forget the social here. The inequality of the country has folded and folded and folded. And this is where it's going to affect us mm -hmm. in health. And it's going to affect the, the most vulnerable part of the, of the community and, and, and of our population. So we have to use the climate champions or to use our conversations to drive change in order to make them understand that climate is uh, sustainable development. We're talking about also economic decisions. We're not talking about only, you know, hugging trees and, and the polar yeah. bears and we're talking about, you know, a new business model and we're talking about the green recovery. What are we going to do about it? We know we have to go <laughs> to the next step. How are we going to choose it? You know, and then uh, getting very specific with, with the climate champions, what we have with the race to zero campaign, you know, it's, it's a global campaign to rally leadership and support from business cities, regions, investors for, you know, the healthy, resilient zero carbon recovery prevents future threats and creates decent jobs and unlocks inclusive, sustainable growth. So by, by this one specific uh, target, you know, by, by getting involved um, with business ambition for 1.5, which is, you know, totally science-based targets. And I mean, the information is there for a long time. Yeah. And have you been able to speak to stakeholders or, or government officials or things as you're in your role and in, in, in your capacity as a um, climate champion? Uh, I am a climate champion team, not climate champion right, right. yet. Maybe when yeah. COP <laughs> is in Brazil, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I would love the challenge. Um, uh, yes, I have. I, I wonder what their response has been, like what the sort of real, you know, life response that you've had you, to this. You from, know what? You yeah. know what? I think it's the biggest challenge. It's that we we're not used to having the right arguments on this topic. We're all activists right. and I'm, I'm one of them and I'm trying to speak other languages. So the same thing when I said that in, in Pew Charitable and Systemic with Breaking the Plastic Wave, I'm Latin American, I'm sitting in European, North American, and we're talking different because the language is different. The signs are different. And it's very hard to do that through the, through the screen. So it makes mm -hmm. it worse. So it's the yeah. same with activists and environmental activists. Some of them are the old school and won't, cross the line but hey guys we have to you know we have to be smarter than that we have to get the arguments get the business cases we do have them they're not ready they're not you know painted the right color they're not you know it's it's something about a message 
but we have to unite and we have to 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 collaborate it's extreme collaboration it's it's very basic but it's very challenging it will take us years and years to to see each other and to and to understand where do, where we want to go and what do i do what do you do so you have ego you have interests you have you know connections. yeah of course <laughs> there's, there's a lot in between but i i feel the energy of resilience, especially non-party stakeholders. So you have the academia, you have the civil society, you, you have the private sector, and you have this a little bit of the sub, subnationals. Understanding that in the next 10 years, if not uh, through the next 10 years, or maybe until 2050, hopefully, this is what we're gonna be talking about. So we better learn yeah, the new yeah, carbon language. 100%. We better understand that carbon is not bad as, as with uh, Willie McDonald say, you know, it's. We're made of carbon, right? So start understanding the relationship and why are we uh, making carbon the, the, the bad, the, right? Carbon is bad when it's fugitive, when it's in the environment. So I think we have to start uh, having the right conversations and, and you know, um, um, how do you say it? Um, balancing. Or, or at least, you know, equalizing the basic information, the basic yeah. information. But you still seem to, to be quite optimistic about this, right? I was born optimistic. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no need to me. apologize. I wouldn't get up, I wouldn't get up <laughs> from bed if I weren't, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I think, yes. I, I think we, we do have to, to close up. But before we do, I kind of want to ask you very quickly, um, also because the the annoyingly the the meeting time is is uh only at six minutes and 30 seconds left that's really annoying um i do want to ask you what is going on with your um the expedition uh project and is it going to come to fruition are you are you all kind of planning on still doing this trip uh yeah sure so i'm, I'm... I was super thrilled and happy when I saw the idea of the expedition. So the, the logic is, you know, there's no silver bullet again uh, for to the ocean uh, plastic crisis. Uh, it's led by, you know, Emily Penn, one skipper that knows a lot about that. So it's only women and it's stopped in like 19 because of the pandemic. Uh, I was supposed to join uh, the crew in, in like, 21, I guess, which was uh, for me a second round of, of expedition on plastic pollution. And I really, really wanted to be around uh, Latin America this time, so because the other time was the Pacific. So we would go to the north of Brazil and the Caribbean. Uh, and uh, we're waiting. We're waiting for the pandemics. We're, we're actually gathering uh, information and, you know, uh, raising awareness and talking about it and, and discussing it before we go back. Uh, we put sales back up. So hopefully soon enough, probably, you know, in the end of next year. So December, January, 2021, 22, I will be connecting with you and, and telling yeah, you a little yeah. bit more about what's <laughs> going on in the, in the deep ocean the honestly yeah ocean. if we can do an episode from from the <laughs> yeah, boat yeah, or something, i would love to do that <laughs> yes. that would be amazing hopefully uh, this time we have internet because the last yeah. time we didn't, we didn't yeah. have connection oh really during the pangea one 
yeah no yeah. connection no emailing no telephone nothing yeah. it's crazy how much how much uh it, like I, I just a, a little quick side note jamie and i were um kind of away from civilization even for just two days i think we didn't have internet and that felt like that felt so bizarre to me um <laughs> and i feel like it shouldn't liberating should fine yeah cool. yeah in some yeah, ways yeah. but also scary yeah. to not know what's going on around the world you know but uh, we've gotten too accustomed yeah I don't, I don't get that. I feel <laughs> absolutely free. I love it. I loved, yeah, well, I have two kids now. It's different. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot different, but it's amazing. I mean, the lack of interference, you're, you're, <laughs> to, you're left mm-hmm. to your essence. You're, mm-hmm. you're listening to the noise of silence. You know, it's very, it's very deep and it's not again. And it's very dirty and, and tough <laughs> and salty <laughs> and windy. But it's amazing. I love it. I hope yeah. I hope I can I can join them really soon. I think we're gonna have to end it here. But Daniela Lerario, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank it's been you. a pleasure to have you. Thank you guys. That was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. We've for learned a lot, me. I think, uh, about, <laughs> about this. I mean, uh, even just the the idea of B, B Corps were really something yeah. I personally haven't heard much about. And I'm definitely gonna look a lot more into it. Uh, yeah. From this call. I- yeah, let's. I can connect you to other people that would tell you in English better than I did. <laughs> I think. No, no. I, I think it was very, very clear. I mean, it's just I'm still, I'm still trying to process this idea of a comp- a short-term company that works towards a specific goal and then dissolves. I mean, that sounds yeah, crazy. It's like a, it's like a mission this, company. This is dream, yeah. but I think it's amazing, isn't it? Wouldn't it be yeah. amazing? Yeah, yeah. Make it and pop it and and. Again, but just if you go to bcorporation.net, you have the directory of companies. So you can see a little bit of what we're talking about, you know, uh, on why or how, how you do it, you know, how your, how your business is doing it. No, I'm, I'm really happy. Thank you so much. And, and, you know, I've been wanting to do an episode on, on Brazil for a while. And I definitely want to do more. It's a country that really, um, I don't know, I, I've felt a, a calling to, especially in my sort of politics studies you know, I, I learned a lot about like Lula, especially, um, and, and sort of politics in Brazil and, and the development of, of culture as well, like Paulo Freire and stuff. And, and it's it's so, I don't know, there's a lot to see in Brazil, I feel, a lot to learn about. So yeah, You're right. And, 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 you know, there's a massive part of our population that is not listened to. Mm-hmm. It's not listened to, you know, and, and I think part of it is my role to, to give way and to listen and to learn. So uh, feel free to connect me and I'll connect you to some very interesting people from Brazil. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for sure. Daniela, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Humility Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we've got tons more on our streaming platforms, which you can find at linktr.ee slash humanodysseypodcast. That's linktr.ee slash human odyssey podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Our Human Odyssey or even on Instagram at The Human Odyssey Podcast on Facebook, the same name. Big thank you to our Patreons this month, Nadia, Shadia, Pablo and Tommy for your continued support, your absolute huge help. If you too would like to contribute, you can go to Patreon slash Human Odyssey Podcast. That's Patreon slash Human Odyssey Podcast and subscribe for as little as two bucks a month.